We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services hello folks we're back with a trentless intro but thankfully folks not a trentless episode that's right folks um trent has made his way back to the podcast but uh let's just say we've been very busy and our busyness is actually a good way to transition into what i've been eating most recently today i shot day three of my feature film that you know, hopefully it um, sees the light of day. But after the shoot, um, me, myself, uh, Sophia and Jackson Clark, frequent friends of the pod, all went to Sophia Alexis's home as there was a block party um, occurring. After, uh, And also a friend of the show, Viraj Marante, came along, uh, my brother, for those that are interested. And um, so I had some assorted items, including chocolate chip cookies, um, pulled chicken, like barbecue, buffalo sauce, sandwich, um, and a samosa. So it was a nice way to um, sort of celebrate the end of another filming day. And I think that my discussion of the block party is a good way to um, to celebrate the end of me talking about uh, food and to start cueing the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully we have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week, it's looking like it's a month of Saw. That's right, folks. We got the, if you clicked on this episode, then you already know, we got the cinematographer of the latest Saw film, Saw X. We have cinematographer Nick Matthews on to talk with us about his experience working on the movie. This is, as uh, many of our interviews at this point, a multi-part interview, and I'm not sure whether I want to make this a two- or three-part interview, Um, so you'll have to be looking out for that. But regardless, it is multiple parts, and this is part one. He talks about becoming a cinematographer, discussing how um, film played a role in his childhood. He talks about getting involved with uh, Saw 10, and sort of all the work that went into prepping the look for the movie um, in this episode. So, guys, this is an introductory episode, but a very engaging one nonetheless. And I think I just want to cue the interview right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Nick Matthews. He's the cinematographer behind our film for today, Saw X. Thank you so much for being with us today. I'm happy to be here. Um, so just to start off, uh, what would you say your relationship with film was like at a young age? Yeah, I'm, I was fascinated by stories and storytelling. I remember 
I grew up in a very conservative, fundamentalist Christian home in South Carolina. And so movies were, I would say as a kid, they felt less censored because you don't typically, I, I thought you don't typically show five-year-olds movies like Saw, but then I went to a convention and heard all of the five-year-olds that saw Saw and was like, oh, okay. But um, I grew up in a home though where literature and storytelling was really valued. My dad has an MFA. I grew up with bookshelves all around and you know everything from Hemingway to Kafka to Hawthorne to um, you know Dostoevsky. There was literature all around, but films I would say were more controlled. We had this thing called a TV Guardian that would block, like it would read the closed captioning and it would block like bad words and shit like that. So it was kind of in that context. However, despite that, um, the, where I grew up, I grew up in this place called Bob Jones University. They're very conservative but there is a culture there that is fascinated by narrative um that's fascinated by you know theater and i think growing up in that really gave me a great interest in stories and storytelling and then um luckily my dad also was actually somebody who loved like horror movies and i remember being in in second grade and watching he was like it's halloween we're all getting together. We're going to watch the original Dracula, the original Frankenstein, and then we'll watch Abbott and, and Costello's like version to like make, you know, end the night. And instead all of my siblings and I got freaked out by Dracula, freaked out by Frankenstein. And by the time the third movie was on, we were like, no, we all like slept in like a little cuddle puddle. Um, you know, and my dad showed me stuff like uh, Lawrence of Arabia and eventually the shining and stuff like that. So, I would say there, you know, I did love film. I remember being a kid who would just go and play like stories with my friends and we were big, you know, I was a big star Wars nerd as a little kid and read a lot of the like expanded universe stuff. Um, and you know, I think those, all of those things, reading literature, you know, watching some films and all that sort of at least set an initial impression of like an interest in it, but I didn't know it was a career. I didn't know there were, you know, I didn't know there were more people involved than just a director. Um, so when did you find yourself gravitating towards the camera department or yeah. just mentally or physically, you know? Yeah, I think for me, the journey sort of began with in some high school, I started making short films. I was, um, I just didn't really know that much, but I was reading books, you know, stuff like, it's called the director's cut or director's something. There's a few, there's a few, there were a few filmmaking books that I got a hold of. And then because of when I was in high school, that was kind of Lord of the Rings was coming out gladiator, like a lot of the, you know, to set like an era of when I was coming in, I was in high school, but that was also an era unlike streaming where there was a lot of behind the scenes featurettes. There was like a real interest and they put money into it because they were trying to sell Blu-rays and they were trying to sell DVDs. And I remember that transition from VHS to DVD in my household. And so I got really interested in just making films. And I actually had a friend, oddly enough, from church. I'm no longer religious, but at the time I was in the church. And um, I had a friend come over and he was like, well, what if we made a movie? Your parents have a camcorder. Let's do it. So we like took it out into the snow and like my a bow and arrow because also country kids and we like you know shot somebody like shooting an arrow and then we did like a whip pan you know into somebody like holding it and like very you know very rudimentary but also learning i was using mini dv and we would 
just back the tape up and then we would if we fucked up the shot we would just back it up like two frames and then we'd record from there so it was very much learning how to cut live i would say and then i ended up doing some work um in a post house that was like a religious organization when i was in high school as well and i started shooting you know shooting shorts then and cutting these like non-linear or started using final cut pro and learning final cut pro and i eventually that was kind of what got me interested and then i went to a small christian school and i started i studied um electronic media and broadcast and i was shooting shorts on the side and doing you know i had a few classes but to be frank they just didn't know where I was at, just they didn't know what, what filmmaking was like. They didn't know the process, all the people. And then at the end of my sort of college um, experience, I had a job or I had an internship in Los Angeles where I worked on a movie set. And Peter Dinklage was in the movie. Mark Jr., Lena Headey, uh, uh, I think Seymour Cassell, a huge, like amazing cast. And I was a uh, locations PA. And I was also, I uh, worked in the art department. I remember we like, <clears throat> we like set dressed with, you know, pornography. And like, I was so like, Oh my God, you know, at the time, cause I was just fresh out of Christian, you know, this sort of Christian world. Um, and so I think in that process of directing shorts and shooting them, I sort of started realizing, well, I had always shot everything I'd ever directed. And I didn't understand the experience of not having that myself be behind the camera and so it sort of did create this like great interest in um like how do i i love the way in which the how you frame something the way you light something and the way you sort of capture something changes the experience you know like the the rooms you guys are sitting in right now if we lit them differently and lit you differently you would suddenly feel like we could even make it feel like you're in a romantic you know transcendent sort of moment or we could make it feel like you're in a dark, you know, seedy, disturbing space. And obviously production design is a huge part of that, but the lighting is so integral to how the space is created. Um, And then, yeah, I worked for a religious organization called the Creation Museum for a couple of years. And I kind of lost my faith while I was there because just the dogma of it and, you know, sort of selling ideology to people felt really weird. Um, But at the same time, I also had access to a lot of tools and was shooting my own shorts. And every time we'd rent gear, like this was back in the red Epic red MX days. Every time I'd rent gear for that projects there, I would go with a friend and we would go make our own thing. Um, That became kind of what I built my reel out of when I moved to Los Angeles and then um, just started with Craigslist and Mandy jobs. And it was really scary and really daunting here, but um, that was 10 years ago. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, it's good to know nothing's changed. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. You really do have to like, it's, it's a, it's a real slog in a lot of ways when you first do it because you're just, there's no easy path. And if you want to be a cinematographer, you are kind of, you're kind of, um, you know, if a, if a movie gets bonded, like over a certain amount of money, the movie gets bonded. So if it falls apart, there's insurance on it. Right. And so you have to take like a health test. The actors have to take a health test and the director does to protect the investment of the movie. And the reality is for these investors, the cinematographer is kind of their get out of jail free card. Like even if we make a shitty movie, it'll at least look like a movie. And so, you know, it's just, it's a role that like, it's, 
it's a role that you really can't just get out of school and immediately be like, oh, like I can do, you know, I can expect this will come my way. Hopefully for many people, it's like they get lucky. They meet an amazing director. They have a great, you know, collaboration. You guys, you know, make something brilliant and spectacular. Um, and then it launches your ability to express yourself artistically. I didn't have that experience. Mine was very much like, you know, shoot an independent film that, you know, for a couple hundred thousand dollars that did, doesn't quite, you know, succeed. And you f- sort of figure out in the process what your style is and what works. And like, I didn't go to a real film school or anything. So I, I really honed my voice shooting short form and independent films when I was um, first in LA. And I, I certainly have been very lucky. Awesome. So, um, speaking of things coming your way, um, you worked on Saw 10, the movie of this week. Uh, can you talk about how that came about? Absolutely. Oh, sorry, Saw X. Saw yeah, X, branding point. wise, they're going hard Saw X. <laughs> yeah, yeah. is that what you say? You go Saw X or Saw 10? Yeah, I think from a branding perspective, they've tried, but I ultimately people are going to say what they say. You know what I mean? Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I think, because, <laughs> but it, it is cooler. <laughs> Except that I think because of Twitter being changed to X and like mm. all of the ill will. That yeah. Jason X, you're in, yeah. you're in good company. Yeah, but I think, look, this movie came to me under the title Party Invite. I had, um, <laughs> they just used that as the working title. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, my agent reached out, my feature rep reached out to me and said, hey, I've got something interesting for you. And his name's Alex Franklin. He's He was he worked at Lionsgate for a while back in the early Saw days. And then when they were starting to do like, they're trying to do a bunch of like Cronenberg and other horror film like remakes at this is early two thousands. And so he had a connection with the um, producers and also with the studio. And I think they had been looking for a cinematographer for a bit. Um, the production designer, Anthony Stabley and the director, Kevin uh, Grubert, um were in Mexico city and they were scouting and they were looking for a cinematographer. So I know that was very much in earnest. I know Kevin had in- interviewed a number of other cinematographers but I think they were shooting the film non-union. They were shooting the movie um, in Mexico City. And not everyone's done that or is comfortable with that. I had shot a movie in Mexico City like four or five years ago. And uh, a little crime film that was pretty scrappy that we shot in 18 days. And um, so when I heard all of that, I was very intrigued. Um, I, you know, I read the script and I thought, this is the best Saw script. Like, I, there's no way, like, the like the... I've read, you know, I mean, I love the original. I saw it in high school. I had to beg and, you know, push my dad to let me go to Blockbuster and get it. And I really can, you know, I've seen one, two, and three before I read the script. And then I, um, and I hadn't revisited them since high school, really. And so reading the script, I got very excited because I'm like, it's Tobin Bell centered, you know, it's Jigsaw centered. It's got a real strong storyline. There's a lot of humor in it. There's, um, it just felt like a very cohesive and an exciting way. And I told Kevin in the interview, I was like, I think this has the chance to be the best of the franchise. Like this just feels really strong and compelling. Um, and we talked about lookbook that he put together. Cause I'd received that a lot of times the cinematographer does have to put a lookbook together. And it's one of the things I hate the most because usually I'm like, I don't know the look of the movie until I talk to the director. Like I, I have certain stylistic tastes 
And I understand from a producer's or even a director's standpoint in trying to decide who they hire, the lookbook becomes a document. They can say, well, this is what this person wants to do. But the collaborative creative process is to discover the look of the movie together. Um, so, but Kevin and I connected in our first interview, it was an hour and a half and we just connected over literature, movies. We talked about everything from, you know, Yodorowsky to, uh, you know, Flannery O'Connor, you know, and all sorts of everything in between. And I feel like, um, Kevin's very funny. He's very smart. Um, you know, the interview went great, but also like you could connect over an interview and it just not be a good collaboration. Um, he ended up talking to five directors I've worked with on other movies and just to find out if I'm collaborative or how, what I'm like on set because an interview is one thing, but the people you work with will say the real story. Um, and I knew these people would say good things about me because I put my heart and soul into their movies. Um, and we are friends. Most, most of the time I become friends with the directors just because it's, you're either going to become friends or just like, I really don't, we don't have, you know, anything to share. Um, and you, you just are going to butt heads or really be in it. And I don't really know. And, you know, I don't know how else he would do it. So, and then I ended up flying to Mexico, I think like two weeks later, I did a little mushroom trip, uh, in between, I watched all the Saw movies with my, uh, spouse. And then I was, I watched a few other movies that Kevin had recommended. Um, I think, I don't know what else did we watch. And then just a range. I usually do a, a pass when I, like before I get on a project, I usually do a pass of just like gathering like four to five, you know, a, a, too many images, like 300 images of just like things that duck out to me as I'm thinking about this movie. And I usually pull from photographers, everyone like from Sally Mann to Gordon Parks to, I have this um, book on my shelf. That's like a crime, you know, it's just death scenes from the 1920s photographed by a detective. And it's like, I have all sorts of photo books and those are big inspiration. And then um, I'll pull from other movies and things like that. So I sort of do that. And then I go in and I'm just like ready to watch, ready to listen, ready to learn from the people I'm around. And then um, kind of find the, you know, find it along the way. So being uh, the 10th installment, uh, I feel like you have like an interesting and like cool opportunity What's the compromise between trying to continue the visual look of the past nine movies and also doing what you want to do? Yeah, that's a great question. I was a little daunted by it at first, but I think for me, I would say watching some of the other Saw films, I didn't really connect with some of the visual choices that were made. Um, I thought there, but then there were elements I really connected with. And so for me, it was what do we look, you know, Kevin and I talked a lot. First of all, when I am on a movie, I'm there to serve the director and their vision. Um, I am going to inherently, I will bring my own voice to the table. I just can't not. And so it's really like getting into sync with the director and what they want. But Kevin and I loved that the early saw films were visually playful, that they had this, you know, kinetic, uh, style of cutting this kinetic style of camera movement. They were drawing from giallo films with strong color palettes. Um, they were shot on 35. They were dirty. They were gritty. They were grimy. They didn't feel clean and hyper, you know, hyper real, hyper digital. They had a grit and a rawness to them. Um, they were, you know, there's a lot of this like under cranking circular, 
you know, kind of movement and there's the light, the light sort of feels very embedded in the frame and there's darkness sort of, you know, that your murkiness and darkness you're moving through and there's really strong colors. So for me, a lot of what that was, was recognizing what I loved about the franchise and the way the franchise had looked and then what I do and, uh, you know, bringing what I do into the table. And that's just going to happen as I devise the look of the movie. So in my case, what that meant was I wanted to bring back one eight five to one aspect ratio spiral and jigsaw deviated from that and went more anamorphic and more cinemascope. And we just felt like the boxiness of saw the boxiness of the screens that are in all the saw movies. This film specifically has some vertical related traps. You know, it has things where there's, I mean, there's like water, you know, the bloodboarding or like, you know, they're her being lifted, hoisted up and, you know, getting blasted in the face by radiation like that all was vertically sort of spaced. The control room is like up in a warehouse and the, they're all on the main floor. That's vertical space. It's boxy. We're shooting through windows. So it just felt right. And then one and two, this is set between saw one and saw two. Those were one, eight, five movies. So part of it was let's take the audience back and put them in between saw one and two. So I studied the palettes of one. One is mostly fluorescent blue and there's like some razor wire, the razor wire trap and the reverse bear or the reverse bear trap are both like that sort of like deep poisonous green. And then um, there's really not a lot of like, because of most of the movie is set in one location, you know, it's very, it was very quickly and um, you know, it was made for very little money as well. Uh, it's really not that violent if you revisit it, you know, like, and, and, but it, the twist was great. And the, you know, the story was really fantastic and the giallo element of it was fun. And then saw two had a lot more money. It's way more, uh, they have a lot more production value, but it sort of lives in just like one tonal space of this, like kind of grimy jaundiced ochre yellow. And so for me, I was like, let's take those colors, but let's create color separation in the frame. You know, none of this is, these, these heightened color palettes are not achieved in the grade. And I didn't want it to feel like they were achieved in the grade, like the early Saw movies where early 2000s, they got excited about DI. They got excited about what they do. I think the first one was a photochemical finish and then it was DI. And then I think six was the last one they shot on film. So what I wanted to do was take us back to feeling like 35, take us back to the kinetic camera movement, still tell a story. And in this case, Saw X has a unique narrative to in the Saw franchise. It's more emotional. It's more linear. It's more, it's John Kramer's emotional landscape and world. And so we were able to tell what amounts to a tr- more traditional narrative, like a more traditional drama, a character study in the way in which we composed and framed and shot the movie. But I use, you know, I still shot digitally. Film was not on the table. I wanted it to be. Um, I even proposed doing like eight millimeter for some of the traps or doing something really rough to cut in. And it just, when you get down to it, even for a movie like this, we had 33 days to shoot it. There's like 30 minutes of cut scenes. So, and, and I would say those scenes don't need to be in the movie. Like I've seen it. I read the script. I don't remember what got cut. It doesn't feel like it was. Um, but yeah, it's a, yeah, and so you think about the amount of shooting ratio because it's a two-hour movie where there's 4,000 cuts in it. So it's 
you're just shooting at a really, really fast pace. And most of the traps are shot in like a day or a day and a half. So like, you know, while the characters aren't moving a lot, you're dealing with prosthetics, you're dealing with stunts, you're dealing with special effects makeup, the application of special effects makeup. And we weren't really allowed to go overtime because we were doing six day weeks in Mexico. Our sixth day was a Saturday. And so the turnarounds like kept us sort of limited, you know, it's like, if you go over on a day, you lose part of your next week. So, um, and for some of it, there's a child actor involved. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're just dealing with like a really fast pace. And so, um, it ends up, you know, we ended up shooting digitally. We shot on the Venice. Um, we shot on a, a set of like cook lenses that are modern glass, but designed to feel like the S twos and the S threes. They're called the cook class. I classic pink rose, I think is the name. Um, great lenses. We paired them with a pearlescent one. And so that's kind of what gives some of that like softness and bloominess into the image. Um, and that was, we did that for a variety of reasons, but we ended up, you know, I think that would have made it feel more ethereal and more like dreamy. It's, but at the same time, we ended up pushing the grain. You know, I shot an IASA. We added grain in post. I would have loved to do a film out and then re- bring that in, but that just wasn't in cards. And, um, you know, we also, the color palette was something we brought in, in in the actual design of the lighting. So there's, you know, I'm not doing it heavily in the DI. Everything's still been graded and to, to match each other to itself. Um, but the the colors you're feeling and seeing in the film, those are baked in. And, you know, we were using a, some was gelled, some was LED, mostly LED that I was, you know, had control over, but we were using this really great color called Oklahoma yellow. That's what our yellow was in the movie. And then we were using like the sodium vapor for a lot of our oranges and um, kind of like a, you know, full CT or CTS with like half CTO something kind of in there for like a goldeny sodium jaundice you know, sodium vapor. And we did a lot of like camera tests and lighting tests to kind of settle on those colors before we actually launched into production. So it was, yeah, I mean, to get back to your original question, it's just, it was, I think I felt a lot of freedom because Kevin has been involved in the franchise from day one. He cut the first five movies. Um, he, you know, he directed six and seven, and I think he just knows the franchise. He knows what it needs. And so I was looking at how do I bring the grime back, the grit back? How do I bring, you know, the kinetic energy back? And then also bring these like strong yellow colors while holding both, you know, one and two's palettes together and kind of um, bringing them back in. What an interview. Thank you so much to Nick Matthews um, for being such a lovely guest. Next week, you can continue to hear him talk about working on Saw 10. Guys, if you're a Saw fan, um, Saw 10, it's pretty good. Um, I I really enjoy it. Um, I thought it was a, a fun ride. And my first Saw film in theaters, which um, it made me queasy. The movie made me queasy. 
Um, I'm really sorry to the listeners that have had to listen to a trendless episodes um, for the last few episodes. Believe me, it is not how I want it to go. There's just lots of scheduling difficulties that make um, getting the two of us in a room difficult, even though we actually were in a room together today. Um, but, you know, for various reasons, it was potting was not going to happen. Um, but potting is what the listener can look forward to next week, as well as every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Stitcher, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. And we release episodes every Sunday. You can check us out on our social media, on on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I really hope that this intro and outro makes any amount of sense because as of recording it is 2 51 a.m and i've had a full day of filming and then driving around hanging out with people and then i have work tomorrow so i'm kind of losing it guys so just bear with me but next week we will have cinematographer nick matthews continuing his discussion and hopefully we have trent bye